I think we have to look at human development holistically, place-based, um, and ecocentrically to to do to create something different, to create a new culture that we want to be a part of. It's it's a different structure that supports and allows for emergence, and that takes a whole different set of skills. Assessment and evaluation comes out of and causes so much woundedness and brokenness that part of me just wants to strip it off like a old bandage and throw it on the ground. Hello and welcome to the Meaningful Learning Podcast by Coconut Thinking. I'm your host, Benjamin Freud, and today's contributor is Jenny Finn, head of school at Springhouse Community School in the mountains of Virginia. I'm very, very excited about this contributor guest. Um, Jenny has a PhD in sustainability education, which when I told Charlotte uh, about this, she absolutely went crazy because it's such an exciting field. But really what the conversation was about was how do we move beyond school? Uh, Ultimately, that's the conversation that happened because Springhouse has left everything behind. They're radical, uh, and as Jenny will say in the conversation, comes from roots. They are doing things that push the envelope beyond what even some of the most progressive educators are doing to the point where it just goes beyond that traditional progressive continuum. It's a school that is founded on the idea of vitality, of a life force that brings us all together, that connects us to the earth, and very importantly, one that is ecocentric, one that sees love at the center, and one that believes in development at the right stage, at the right pace, and as a community, and reaching out to the community. I'm really excited to have gotten to know Jenny. Uh, It's been a fairly recent contact. We had some uh, conversations on Zoom and on LinkedIn, and what she's doing is very, very interesting in the sense that it challenges us to think about what learning is. And specifically, and as you'll see in the conversation or hear in the conversation, it's really about bringing us back to ancient wisdom, ancient thinking about learning rather than in the, what is relatively speaking, a new structure, a new narrative of education, which is uh, what we have now, which uh, only comes from perhaps the uh, late 19th century. Anyways, I don't want to talk too much here. I already have. So I'll leave way to my conversation with uh, Jenny Finn. Well, hi, Jenny. It's really nice to have you on our podcast. Uh, We spoke about, I think it was about a month ago or so, uh, and uh, you told me a lot about what you're doing and, uh, and and just some of the decisions that you've made. And, and I've been really interested in hearing more about you, about how you set up a school around vitality and about uh, the, the leadership decisions that you had. So uh, I'm going to open it up to you uh, and have you maybe do an introduction of uh, who are you, what you do, and how do you try to make a difference? Well, thanks for having me, Benjamin. It's really station. Um, well, my name's Jenny Finn. I'm here in the U.S., in the Blue Ridge Mountains of Virginia. You know, for the past probably, gosh, maybe 25 years, I've really been oriented around vitality. Um, now, have I called it that for 25 years? No, um, it's, it's, it's hard to define something that is ineffable, but it is the life source that runs through each and every one of us, everything that's living. Uh, for 25 years, really been oriented around first starting with myself, um, a personal design that orients around taking care of and fostering the life that flows through me. Um, And that's because there was a time in my life where my personal design was absolutely not that. It was not taking care of my life to the point that it was um, really killing me very young. Um, and so I, something had to change. It was either I was going to just transition over to the other side young, or I was going to uh, design a different life that took care of the, the breath of life that flows through me. And um, that happened really young for me. So this is very personal in the world, what I do, um, because it started with me and it started with me really not being in touch with my own vitality um, as a young person, not really having the structures around me to, to, to take care of vitality. I mean, I was going to a, you know, college prep high school, um, but I certainly did not have the mentorship and the guidance I needed to foster like my whole self, like my, my life. Um, so I was doing the best I could and, and it wasn't great. Um, so, so I had, you know, an experience as a young person waking up to something 
um, larger than myself, something that moves through me. And then I, I've spent the rest of my life taking care of that in myself first. And then um, in, in, in supporting others, communities, individuals, uh, organizations to foster that vitality in themselves. So um, I have been doing that for a long time and I never had any intention of co-founding a school. Ever. That was not, even though I was, you know, finishing up a PhD in education that had a focus on everything I'm talking about right now. Um, I did not, that wasn't really in my uh, purview. So um, I had moved from Colorado here to the Blue Ridge. And in Colorado, I was mostly hired. I had a studio where people would come and we would mostly do creative things like primarily dance, but dance and art things to foster vitality and um, take care of brokenness and woundedness and really um, live into our wholeness basically is what, what I was doing. But I was also hired by all kinds of organizations. So healthcare systems, churches, schools, police departments, domestic violence centers. I mean, you name it. I was, con you know, I was contracted to come in and basically like light a spark in places that were kind of the ember was dwindling, the embers were low. I would come in and we would sing or we would dance or it was like I was sort of the vitality sparker <laughs> that would come in. The problem with that was, I mean, it was really beautiful work and it was great practice for me. But if you, if you fan, if you, if you light a spark and there's not a culture around it to take care of it, then it goes out very quickly. Um, so it took me about 10 years to really feel into that where I was, some organizations would hire me over like a, the course of some years. Um, but uh, when they didn't, if it was a one-time thing, it would be, um, you know, I'd come in and then it would be back to what it was before. Um, so when I left Colorado, I really made a commitment. I shut down my studio. I made a commitment to, um, do something community-based, something culture, uh, culture change, culture making focused. I didn't know what that was going to be though. So when I got here, I um, kind of wandered around. I finished my PhD and just, I, I left a lot of open space, which is something that I do because I really trust um, a guidance that comes from a place I'll never understand. So, so um, I was listening and waiting and then was invited into a situation here where there was a school that had been started just in that very first year and it wasn't going well. It was starting to break down and didn't look like it was going to take off. And they called me in because they had heard of my work around vitality sparking and per <laughs> primarily with dance. And so I came in and did some things with them. And it ended up that I was then unknowingly at the time sitting at the table of starting a different school that involved the two people that had started that first one, but I came in and, and um, was built something new with them. So that's that's how I ended up now here at Springhouse. And I'm now the, the um, head of school there, um, founder, and we're going into our eighth year now. That's fantastic. Uh, and and I certainly, Springhouse is, is not a school like others for various reasons in terms of the way it, it brings the community, it lives for the community. I want to touch on some of those questions, but the first question I want to ask, or I guess the second question is, how do you define learning? It's particularly how learning is defined at Springhouse. Yeah, that's a good question. Um, and one that you had sent to me earlier that I've been thinking about. I appreciate that. Um, you know, to me, I think it means healthy development. That's what I think it means. And that surprised me, actually. I was talking to a couple of um, Springhouse staff yesterday and I was telling them I was gonna be talking to you today. And, and I was talking about the question that you asked, you know, what is learning? Um, and then this morning, we talked a little bit about it. And then this morning before I got on this call, it came to me that it really is healthy development. That's what it is um, for me. Um, and I think at Springhouse. And so what do I mean by that? Our vision at Springhouse is regenerative culture. That's the vision. Like when I'm looking way ahead and let's say we're all on a ship and I'm looking ahead and I'm looking at the sun breaking through 
The sun breaking through is regenerative culture. It is a culture where we all um, deeply know our own vitality, that we know it between each other with the earth and that we take care of it. We maintain it, we foster it. That's the vision. That's huge. That's a mighty vision. I mean, when we look at what we're living in now, there's certainly glimpses of that, but as a whole, we're very much still living in a, um, an unsustainable culture as, as we know. Um, so um, what does healthy development have to do with that? Well, well, how we head toward that vision or live into that vision um, is by creating vitality-centered education. What does that mean? That means an educate, uh, um, design that brings out the life in us that brings out the life in all of us. Does this bring us alive is our question. Not does this make us happy? Does this make, is this everything we want? Is this everything the teenager wants? Is this teacher centered? It's not, it's like, what is at the center is life, is vitality, is what is ineffable ultimately. Um, but really known, I mean, I know it. I just got off my bike and it's like, oh, I can feel it when I'm, when it's rushing through me or when I'm grieving or when I'm, um, laughing, or it's that, that life source that, that animates us. Um, so in, with regenerative culture, that just happens if you're tending in developmentally appropriate ways to different stages of life. So what I mean by that is, and I'm not just talking about cognitive development, and I'm not just talking about physical development, I'm talking about ecocentric, holistic development that includes the whole person and their place. So if we're tending to pre-adolescence to adolescence, which is a relatively new phase of human development, you know, adult, which is why we don't often know what to do with it. So, so adolescence and then young adulthood and adulthood, there are, um, one of the frameworks we're deeply informed by is a framework from Dr. Bill Plotkin, who is the founder of Animus Institute. We work closely with him um, and he, he's a real supporter of the school and, and, and an advisor really. And we, we work together because he had developed this beautiful, amazing framework, um, particularly if you look in the book, Nature and the Human Soul, um, it's beautiful. And then we're actually in the practice of it. So we are really complementing each other where he's written this beautiful theory and we're in the long-term practice of it. So we're learning a lot from each other, but anyway, so through that framework, when you, when you attend to development appropriately in each stage, um, you are creating regenerative culture. And to me, these days, I've really been thinking about education, how it's been commodified and kind of siloed, even itself, like education and learning. And it's like learning is just unfolding. It's just developing. It's unfurling, becoming um, is what it is to me. And education is, um, I think, culture making. I, that's how we make culture. And we can either make a culture that is going to sleep and is um, harming ourselves, each other, and the earth, or we can create, um, a, you know, we can design in such a way that, that, that brings us to life. And so education really is just passing down cultural ways and values, and we get to choose what we want to pass down and I think at Springhouse, we've just, we've kind of like, it's attracted this group of people, um, teenagers, adults, families, community members, um, who are interested in, I think if we want something radically different, we have to do something radically different. And radical really means rooted. That's, the, that's at the root of the word radical is rooted. And so I think we, I think we have to look at human development holistically, place-based, um, and ecocentrically to to do to create something different, to create a new culture that we want to be a part of. Does that make sense? It, it does make sense. And, and one of the things I find particularly interesting is this acknowledgement that when we have education, we pass on values. That there are certain things that we carry on down to the generations. And I think a lot of the narrative that has been told to last hundred years is one that is not ecocentric. And, 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 I, and I'd like to investigate a little bit more why the words math, literacy, science, art, those, those discipline-based words haven't been brought up at all in, just yet in, in what you've been mentioning. How, 
how are we rewriting the narrative uh, at Springhouse or how are you doing that, I suppose? Nice. Yeah, you know, I, um, like there's nothing wrong with separating things out, right? Like sometimes I have to separate them out to see things, but if I forget connection, which I think is what we've primarily forgotten, is that deeper connection, that wholeness, I guess is what I'm talking about. Um, then they become like the life gets sucked out of these things. And so let me give you an example. We, one of the things that, um, and this is happening less and less because we're getting more and more clear about our identity at Springhouse. When you're not clear about your identity, you try to, you know, somebody, I think it was Michael Mead who says, you know, if you don't know your name, someone else will name you. Um, that's what happens um, is that if you're a person or an organization. So as we've gotten clearer about our identity, um, we have less of this, but in the beginning, there was a lot of major worry about math. Like, how do you do, what do you do with math? How do you, like, that was the primary question, um, which I think is so interesting. Um, I don't, you know, and we're, I, I thought it was so interesting that I said to the um, staff, you know what, I'm ready to square up to this. Let's square up to this and let's look at um, math as a phenomenon. So a lot of what we do is phenomena based, it's relevant. So we'll look at a topic um, like LGBTQ studies or um, you know, we studied racism in the civil war. We're in the South here. So we're in a place where, where we could literally go to our own places and look at, look at the history here. Um, so we're, we've just, we're just about to end a study of math as a phenomena and it was powerful. We have one group looking at decolonizing math. There's all kinds of scholarship about why we're all wrapped around math and what we're doing with math um, when it comes to culture creating. Um, and I co-facilitated a class on algebra, which in high school, I took an algebra class and I did really well. And it was mostly equations, right? It was just, I just did equations and I did well. And um, I guess that just worked for me. <laughs> so so this, this trimester, we, myself and another staff member, I started really looking into algebra and, and what does it mean? And some people who really love math, like beyond just this kind of math craziness stuff, um, are like, Jenny, it's beautiful. It's a beautiful language. It's a beautiful, and I'm, I'm always like, I don't really understand what you're talking about, but I do now though. I do now after spending just one trimester of looking into what algebra means, which is to complete is to bring, it's, it's the relationship between wholeness and the sum of its parts. And so we went on this huge journey and I literally was in tears with the students where I'm like, we have wrung the life out of some of these things because I think we're afraid. I think we're wanting something to complete us. Um, and I think that's like the intellect in cognition where we think if we just know enough, we'll be safe. And I mean, I'm not, not about knowing, I mean, <laughs> Knowing is fine, but there's a lot that's unknown. There's way more that's unknown. And so I think both are beautiful. I think it's beautiful to have a revelation and it's beautiful to do around in the unknown. And um, God, some of the most magical moments of my life have been learning the skills to hang with the unknown and hang there um, and then see what comes forward. I don't think that's a skill. I know that wasn't fostered in my education. So um yeah, I think when it comes to all of those things um, that we know of in our conventional schooling, math, literacy, art, um, what else? Phys ed, science, <laughs> all the things that we separate. Um, um, I guess at Springhouse, it's more about experience. And I will say one of the things that we have created or that kind of emerged was something that we call fields of study. And that might be because there was wisdom, I get it, that, that I, think it, I think the intention under all of this siloing maybe was wholeness, maybe like to make sure that we're exploring all different kinds of areas, like a well-rounded kind of experience, which I can appreciate. Um, especially in adolescence, that's really important developmentally that they, they have a lot of different experiences to explore, to get to know who they are. Um, 
And so we've done that kind of differently where the fields of study are, aren't siloed so much in disciplines, but more areas of study. So something like sustainability, social justice, and equity is one, or um, uh, somatics and holistic health, or um, science and the logical mind. Or So we're always looking at our curriculum each year going, okay, where are we um, heavy and where do we need to invite more experiences? So it's not like we're just winging it every year. There is a, a structure, but I think it's maybe a little more expansive or has a little more depth um, than such tight distinctions in the disciplines. So, so what does that look like concretely? So you, you, let's say next year you're thinking about the experiences that you're going to provide. How do you make sure that you do supplement with areas where maybe that need supplementing in terms of knowledge, experience, exposure, and, and so forth, while at the same time providing students also with um, choice or maybe the ability to decide or co-construct? What, what does it look like concretely? Yeah. So in our, in our daily schedule, like every, so we're broken up in trimesters and a lot of this is informed by adolescent development. So it's like not about a career. <laughs> it's not about getting them, like they're not just consumers and buyers. That's not just what they are. It's like, or it's like, how do we give them enough experiences to better have, have more solid ground to stand on when they leave as a person, as a whole person? So that all informs, like we have trimesters, so they're just shorter, shorter periods of exploration. Um, and we also go for depth. So it's not about, it's not like, let's get as much information as we can. So it's more, let's do, let's have um, several deep dives three times a year that they can go in. So what do those dives look like? Um, there's a main course and those are separated out by, um, like those are separated out developmentally. Um, so um, they have a main course they can choose from. They have um, electives that we, we call them electives, but really they're like a whole smattering of different kinds of opportunities that are offered either by the staff or by regional community members or by global members who say, I can, I can um, come in and somebody's coming in right now and teaching a course on um, screenwriting from Chicago. So it's that kind of thing. Um, so uh, like a whole smattering of things. And then we, they also have community internships and apprenticeships where they are, um, they get to choose there what they want to do. Um, and depending on their age, if they're really young, a lot of them will choose to do some kind of project um, locally, like they'll build an outdoor classroom at Springhouse, or they'll work at the greenhouse up the road, um, or something like that. But then as they get older, um, we have, you know, they, they're doing all kinds of different things now as they get older. So they, that also allows them to have some more, some more agency. Um, and then we have um, a lot of focus on the body and embodiment. So they do a lot of different things um, there and they have a lot of choice within that. Um, and then there's mentoring and there's um, like, they're all in different cohorts. And so there's all different kinds of things happening. There's a schedule every single day. And there's a structure, you know, a lot of people will say, they'll come and visit and be like, oh my God. I mean, when you come, the vitality, it's just kind of spilling out and people are taken with it. They're take, they're like, this is amazing. Do you guys even, do you have a structure? And I always laugh and I say, just because you're seeing something really different does not mean, it's not like overly structured to no structure. It's, it's a different structure that supports and allows for emergence. And that takes a whole different set of skills to design in that way, because um, I mean, emergence, we have no willful control over that. So we have to create a structure that's vast enough, but also sturdy enough to hold the community and our learning together. So there's definitely a structure. Um, it's just really different because it orients around something different. And so in terms of, for instance, let's say there's, a, there's, a, there's an exploration, a deep dive into um, uh, social justice in rural communities. I'm just making it up off the top of my head. How, how would that be constructed? How would uh, the, 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 the people who work at Spring House work? How do you bring in the community? Uh, what, what, what happens on that level? That's a great question um, because it points me straight to the Spring House staff. We could not do what we are doing 
if it weren't for these people. We really couldn't. Um, and what I mean by that is these people are very committed to their vitality, like their own vitality. They're not there to be teachers. They're not there to work at a school. They're not, they don't, I don't even know if they identify as educators. They're more as like, we are here to create new culture. And we know that that includes um, learning and developing and growing together in, in all kinds of ways. Um, so um, a lot of what we do is emergent from the very people who are there. And, and what I mean by that is we, I mean, we spend at least three hours a week together in silence, doing relational work together. What I mean is being really honest with each other, clearing out any kinds of anything that we need to clear out to better serve the vision and mission. We will go there. Courageous conversations are on the regular at Springhouse amongst our staff. And therefore that's what's happening with the students. So that, that because the culture starts with the adults, <laughs> with the adults at the center of the thing. So if they are not embodying, if we are not embodying what we want to see for our youth, adolescents are way too wise. They can read it like that. They're like, no way, I don't trust you because you're not embodying what you're selling, what selling or giving to me. Um, so I just say that because every, what I'm about to say about the social justice thing is um, it really did emerge. These things just emerge really beautifully and almost magically where um, here we are in the South. Um, I had a, we made this partnership with Virginia Tech. We had a cello player come down. Like it was one of those kind of programs where musicians come into schools and they show up and they do a little concert or something. Well, this woman from North Carolina came in and she and I connected immediately. Um, jazz musician from North Carolina, black woman um, here in the rural South in a county that is 98% white. So she comes in and she's doing this electric cello concert. It was amazing. She was amazing. And I knew, I knew, and so did another staff member. We need to work with her. We need to work with her in like a big, deep way. And so I just maintained contact with her. What it ended up turning into was a grant funded project that, um, allowed us not just a spring house, but a whole community, Floyd, Floyd community, Floyd County, um, to look at and explore racism and white privilege through music and courageous conversation. So we ended up having a community concert. We had two, um, two uh, conversations on race. And um, there's two churches that are, are black churches here in Floyd County. And we held the conversations in those churches where where community members could share what it's like. Like the, the adolescents just asked point, like just straightforward, um, what's it like to be black in Floyd County? And they heard from the members of, of like how that really felt. And it wasn't easy. It wasn't an easy conversation. Um, and so that's one of the ways something showed up that was a whole semester long thing that was grant funded. And then uh, an article was written about it in um, the Teaching Tolerance Magazine from the Southern Poverty um, Law Center. So it, that's just one example. And we have so many. I mean, we've walked, we took a 50 mile pilgrimage through, um, through our landscape on the Blue Ridge Parkway and, and connected with all kinds of community members who housed us, fed us. And um, there's just been so, we built a 22 foot sailboat, sailed it in the Chesapeake Bay. These things emerge from the staff, from the students, and from the community. And now it's interesting because we, through COVID, have become more global through our education design labs and our partnerships. Um, and so I'm curious to see what that's going to mean for us, especially after COVID, in terms of travel and connecting with other parts of the world. And I'm really excited about that. And, and I appreciate also that if someone ask the question, what does it feel to be black? We're looking at, I mean, it, it, it takes a lot of courage to say that. I'm sure there's a lot of fear. Uh, it takes a lot of courage and fear to, to, to respond yeah. to that and, and, and to engage in that conversation, which are all emotional as well as, as, as the connectivity, the intellectual. And, and, and what yes. I'm hearing is, is, is that emergence of the two. And, and that gives me a nice segue to go into the idea of, of assessment and, and specifically in terms of 
how Springhouse works with assessment. Do they even do assessment? How do you know the kids are growing in? And, and I just, I just want to uh, preface this by saying, uh, it kind of drives me crazy, this question about how do you know kids are learning? So I, I want to I specify that, that, that I'm, I'm, not actually, I'm not actually interested in, in the question itself so much as what you guys do. It's just my way of getting to, to that. I think it's a big question. I think it's one that is, comes from, um, I don't know. I mean, I, I hesitate to say this because, um, you know, Benjamin, I just think we're, many of us are coming from, well, let me say this. When I was living more out of my brokenness, um, things looked very different to me. Like my assessment <laughs> of the world and how I created my world was just so different. And I don't know if that's gonna make sense to anyone who's listening to this, but um, I, I just think we have an addiction to knowing. I've never said that before, but I do. It's like knowing, knowing, knowing. It's like, um, I don't, yeah. Yeah, I can feel like how deeply, um, I think this is such a, a question, um, like assessment and evaluation comes out of and causes so much woundedness and brokenness that part of me just wants to strip it off like a old bandage and throw it on the ground, um, which I think in some ways we're doing <laughs> with a lot of it. Um, what I wanna really make clear is that what Springhouse is living into is not new. It makes me wanna cry. It is not new. The wisdom we are rooting down into is eternal. It is as old as the earth. And many people um, have known about this wisdom and created cultures and lived from it for a long time. So we're just plugging back in to something that's been running eternally. Um, so it's not like we came up with a brand new idea. I mean, one of our principles is building beloved community. I mean, building beloved community, for heaven's sake, is ancient. Um, it's just not well-practiced. It's not new, but we aren't well-practiced. I think it's like a fresh a fresh spin on something that's old. So I'll just say that. So when it comes to assessment, um, you know, the root of that word means to sit beside. That's what it means. Um, and... Um, I started wondering if we should just call our evaluation um, sitting beside, sitting beside someone, um, because that's really what we do. We've tried for almost eight years now, and, and this was from feedback. So I have a dear friend and who's also a mentor and who I really respect. And he's, he's a scholar in the field of place-based education. And he said to me two months ago, he said, Jenny, everything you're doing at Springhouse is radical and needed, except for your, the way that you assess. He said, you're using like fancy language, like competency-based and mastery, whatever. And he's like, it still has the potential to be just as damaging as what, what is happening in conventional systems. We were so grateful to hear that. He's like, I'm guessing you're doing that because you wanna be legitimate. You wanna legitimize Springhouse and he's like, I'm just telling you to go for it. Just go for what you already know and what you're already doing. You are legitimate, even if, because you're doing something that's needed. So even if it's different or people are scared of it, or it's not enough evaluation or assessment for them, just keep, keep experimenting in that realm because it's really needed it, more than anything, probably design curriculum and evaluation, but it's the evaluation where we get, um, where the wounding can really happen because that's where we start putting, you know, um, defining people by what they do and don't do. And that, that can affect a life. I mean, it can shrink a life like that. If you believe the person that's giving that to you. Um, so I think, you know, one of the things that we, we've done everything from the beginning, we started with, we never did grades, but we did credits and we tried to use the old system and that didn't work very quickly. That didn't work. Now we do something that we were calling defensive learning, which is like a panel where a student comes and, you know, stuff we've already heard, portfolios, evidence, 
competencies, proficiency, emerging, exemplary, all of that stuff. Really what those were, and my friend said, Jenny, the words defense of learning, I know, I know I use that in my dissertation, whatever. And he said, <laughs> that's kind of violent language. Like I'm here to defend my learning. And um, we all agreed. We all agreed at this day. It sounded fancy and um, it's not what we're doing. We're not asking them to defend their learning. We're having a conversation where the student shows up with mentors that care for them, um, facilitators of whatever they were learning, um, which could be a teen. It could be an adult or a teen. Teens are on that in that group, community members, um, near and far. And we get together and we have conversations that are, if you came into one of these, Benjamin, and you were a part of it, I mean, the adults that come in are like, I've never seen anything like this. And the reason why they haven't is because love and connection are the number one priority at Springhouse. So there's so much love and trust there that these young people and adults can really go there as they sit beside one another and reflect on how the trimester went or how the year went. Um, it really is that. So that's one way. It's really, it's like a feedback loop. It's a natural feedback loop that's created that allows a young person or an adult, because we do it with the staff too, um, to learn about where they are, where their community thinks they are. Um, so that's one thing. But the other thing I'll say is that we do is rites of passage. So as a community, including teens and adults, we look and we see when someone has, has gone through, um, let's say is moving from childhood to adolescence. We mark that in different ways. We might show up at a teenager's house, obviously with the parent's permission and take them out into the woods and bless them and say, welcome, welcome to your adolescence. Here you are, we've done the same thing as they go into young adulthood. Staff, we do that with each other where we bless each other on our, on our journey. In this coming summer, we're getting, we're gonna be spending way more time, really even more aligning our curricular and evaluative structures to align with ecocentric development. So it's even clearer in how we're doing that and where the rites of passage are and that kind of thing. So I think it's really, I think it's about feedback loops and then marking and honoring. Um, and what does that look like when a student leaves Springhouse? I mean, right now it looks like a mastery transcript. I mean, we're a pilot school with mastery transcript. Um, and maybe it's just telling the story of who this young person is and, and, and all the ways that they've shown up in their time at Springhouse. I'm not sure, but, but I, think, um, I think we're about to actually step into even more radical territory than, than we already are. And I'm really ready for it. And I know the staff is too. You know, when you know who you are, you can't hold back, whether you're a person or, or a community or an organization. And I think this is the year for whatever reason our seventh year that just things coalesced and we now know what we're here for. And, and I, think, I think it's just about to get probably a little more vital and hard for us. <laughs> they usually go hand in hand. <laughs> and I appreciate the courage so much because there are so many people already who think that mastery transcript is a step too far. So even saying that that actually is still part of the same system, it's just a different name or a different a picture on, on a piece of paper. But if you know yourself, how do you make sure as you go further on this, in, in this direction, that other people from the outside know you, particularly if they don't have the time to invest in really digging underneath? Uh, how, how are you going to be able to still bridge that? Yes, we have to. I think that's our, that's, that really is our deep work this summer, is when you're doing something really differently and, um, it really, really different from the, the culture at large. Um, it's our responsibility to do our best to articulate, to articulate what, what it, as much as we can um, authentically articulate what is happening and translating um, what, what we're doing, you know, for our young people, but also, um, yeah, for anyone who's interested, for families, for adults who want to come. Um, so that's what we're really gonna be working on. I mean, we already are getting better at that, um, but when something is emergent, 
and is old but new, um, it takes some time. It's kind of a messy, a messy process. Um, that's why I really value anyone, any family who signs on to what is really essentially experimental, but rooted in old wisdom. It's not like, you know, just winging it, flying by the seat of our pants. It's a risk for anyone. I mean, for all of us. Um, but I mean, I think that's how I know for sure that's how a new life is created. And there is responsibility in that risk taking. So I think we'll continue to translate. I think we'll be translators. Um, and so far we've, we've been, and we get a lot of support from people who are scholars in the field, practitioners in the field, um, who are ready to really take a big risk. Those, those folks really help us and affirm us. I don't know what I'd do without them. I honestly don't. The people who say, I know, I know this is scary, but keep going, keep going. Um, they, yeah, I just, I don't even know if I'd be able to do what I'm doing without them. And so those are the friends and allies, the people who are on board, who share the same vision, the purpose. How do you make sure that that doesn't get distilled, that that doesn't get, I don't want to use the word corrupted, that's the wrong word, but but that there aren't maybe elements that might be toxic. And I don't necessarily mean toxic in such a negative way, but maybe just kind of change the flavor of what's going on and, and, and keep you off course. What have you done in from a leadership perspective, in terms of community building perspective, to just stay the course? Well, you know, when anything is new, one of my teachers said a long time ago, if you're not experiencing resistance, you're not doing anything new. Um, and I've carried that with me since I was 30. Um, and uh, I've experienced a lot of resistance in my life. Unfortunately, there's a lot of resistance to vitality. Um, life. I mean, we wouldn't be harming the earth if there wasn't. Um, and it's not because we're bad. It's just because we don't know. Um, we don't know it in ourselves and we don't know it in each other. And we couldn't possibly then know it um, in the earth, with the earth, or that we're even a part of the earth um, and we belong to the earth. So, um, you know, for me, and I would say this for, I think the Springhouse staff too, is that I deeply, deeply trust the ineffable deeply more than anything um and how that shows up in a group is even more amazing because it's like then the group conscience itself becomes a wisdom that is way more powerful than just one individual it's so cool um and as a part of that there's always tension it's not like group think it's not group think where everyone's like, yes, we're all, in. it's often, there's often tension. Every day there's tension. Like, no, no, I don't think we should. And then that drives us to even listen more deeply. And we often use silence, sitting together in silence as um, a methodology to determine next steps. That is very, uh, our, probably our first thing that we do. In terms of being steered off course, hmm, it's a good question. It's really great to have a clearer vision now. <laughs> I'll just say that the clear vision of regenerative culture is a guiding light. So it's like, does this bring us alive? And by, and who is us? That question. Is us just us here at the school having fun, doing our thing? Or is us, our, what about our community? Like, that's a question we've been asking who's suffering in our community? Um, how does this vitality spill out into the world? How does it become of service to others? Um, I think, you know, um, my friend, my place-based friend said, you know, I can't remember, I'm still sort of understanding this, but he said something about the place being the, the, the greatest evaluator. Like, are you actually making a difference in your place? And that should be your evaluation. If you're not, then, and that made sense to me, um, you know, it's like, if you're not, so, so this coming year, we're developing infrastructure to better serve our community, to better integrate into our community. And then we're also through our design labs. I mean, it is not uncommon for me to get an email. I mean, I just talked to someone last week who was like, I'm scared 
I want to start something new, really new. And I have this whole idea and he shared it with me. And I'm like, this is beautiful. And he said, I'm really scared. What should I do? I don't know all of the details yet. And I said, put it out there and be transparent. Just put it out there and say, you don't know all the details. This is experimental. Who wants to join me? (laughs) And he was like, I never even thought to do that. I'm like, I know because we think we have to know everything, but we don't. We don't. It's like Martin Luther King Jr. said, take the first step and the next step will follow. You don't have to know the whole staircase. And I've lived my whole life that way um, ever since I woke up to something bigger than myself. So I would say um, all I have to know is the next step. So I'm not super worried about being steered off course. I'm mostly like like we started this conversation. Um, am Am I showing up fully for this right step right now? right now? Am I here fully present to this, to, to what's happening right now? And then the next thing will come. Um, and I know that's really different from a lot of the ways that we plan and we design and things like that. Um, but there's plenty out there on emergent design. And so it's not like I'm just saying something that, you know, nobody else has said before. Um, I think what's different about Springhouse is that we're in a long-term experiment um, on the ground, messy, on the ground experiment that is also super life-giving. So I don't worry a lot about being steered off course. And that's the that's the such a powerful recognition that it does get messy. And so often it's about replacing an imperfect system with a perfect system and it has to look all shiny and new. But at the end of the day, the learning, as, as you mentioned, if there's no struggle, if there's no uncertainty, then it's just not learning. It's it's it is just bleh. Exactly. 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 It's 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 what it feels like. It's, it feels right. like that sound. It's just it's stat it's status quo. And, and the other part I appreciate very much is is about that impact, the impact on the community. What is it that our actions have in terms of impact on the community? Because ultimately, that's the only thing that matters. Yeah. Uh, you could write a beautiful song if nobody yeah. listens to it, it yeah. doesn't exist. It's yeah. Simple as that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, exactly. You, uh, one of the things that I wanted to ask you a little bit more about is, is about, about the design labs. Can you tell us a little bit more about that? I can. And I also have a call at nine, so I don't have much time. Um, but I do want to tell you about the design labs. Um, so if someone is listening to this and they're like, okay, this is interesting. Um, I want to learn more. Um, we do. I mean, you can always go to springhouse.org and everything's there. Um But these education design labs, so far we've had people from around the world just this year, we started it this year, we're sharing the design that basically we we articulated these five design principles from the experiment of Springhouse. So we, I gathered together a focus group of teens, community members, adults, all kinds of people. And we just kept asking the question, what, what makes Springhouse remarkable? What makes Springhouse unique? And we came up with these five pretty quickly. I mean, it was a year long process, but when the design principles came, they came. Um, And now we share those in community with people around the world, not to create a bunch of other spring houses, but it's almost like somebody said in the lab, like houses for vitality. It's like you, where you are, create little communities and houses for vitality. And I know I would have benefited greatly if I would have had a community of people who were like, keep going, keep going. You can do this because everyone who has done the lab is like, this is scary because it does start with you. And the first design principle is take care of vulnerability. So I always ask people, are you taking care of your own vulnerability? Often the question, the answer is not really. (laughs) So it's like, okay, let's start there. So it's not just for doing something for your community, doing, doing something, starting with yourself is doing something for your community. And when you foster that vitality, then it's about creating infrastructure to feed your community and then also get those feedback loops back in to strengthen your own identity as a community and as a person, like you talked about that, that steering off course and, and that toxic kind of thing. The feedback loops naturally allow for like, hey, what are you guys doing there? Is Does that seem like a good idea to do that on that land or that that? That in and of itself is a check and balance. It's a natural check and balance when you create those feedback loops. So anyway, the Education Design Lab is a place where you have guidance from these principles, just a structure to learn and grow in. 
and then support, ongoing support. Um, and my hope this coming year is to even um, structure that network more because what I'm seeing is people get a spark and then the network hasn't yet been created to keep holding them in the long journey of creating these houses for vitality. <laughs> so I, I see that as my responsibility now because I you know, have these little labs to create a larger network to hold them. So that's, that's my work in the coming year. But if people are interested, that's a great way to get to know the design and get support. If you really are one of those people sitting out there going, I'm scared. I don't know what the first step is. I want to do something radically different and I need help. I think Springhouse is a great place to come simply because we're people who are still doing that every day. We're still scared. We're still vulnerable. The forces that are at play here are immense in terms of dysfunction um, and brokenness. They are immense just within one person, let alone a culture. So together, if we can foster vitality together, we have a better shot at creating a culture that, that orients around vitality. Listen, Jenny, I really want to thank you for your time. Oh my gosh. Well, I'm reading um, Monoculture by F.S. Michaels. I'm reading Nature and the Human Soul. And I'm reading the Celtic Book of Prayers. <laughs> Excellent. Maybe it's not that quick a question. <laughs> Fantastic. I love it. Thank you so much. Uh, that's you're the first person that I've, uh, it's going to be a new thing. Now we're going to ask people, what are you reading right now? Just to get a, a view and, and a bit of the. Great. I love that question. Listen, thank you. I really appreciate your time. Um, and um, yeah, let's, let's, let's keep in touch. And uh, really want to thank you for, for contributing to the show. And, and it's, been, it's been really wonderful. Thank you so much, Benjamin. I really am so glad to know you. Thank you. This has been the Meaningful Learning Podcast by Coconut Thinking. I'm your host, Benjamin Freud. Thank you so much, Jenny. I'm really excited to have had this conversation. Our next conversation will be with Jeremy Lent, author and integrator, as he describes himself. He wrote um, back in January an article that came out in Yes Magazine called What Does an Ecological Civilization Look Like? It was tremendously thought-provoking and I'm so, so, so excited to speak with him um, in the next couple of weeks. So please look forward to that episode. Um, I hope you will as I do. In the meantime, please uh, check us out on www.coconut-thinking.design. Send us an email, send us a text, check us out on LinkedIn. Again, it's www.coconut-thinking.design and we look forward to hearing from you soon in our next podcast. Bye-bye.